This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. He is Todd Erzin. He is Aaron McIntyre. Coming up on today's rather busy program, fake news or not, a new power rises, perhaps. I have a theory as to where things may be going and trending and what they ultimately may mean. You guys are going to tell me later on in terms of the changing media landscape. We, I absolutely believe what we pulled off at last Friday's Family Leadership Summit just was a tectonic shift. I saw, in fact, I saw some data yesterday that Fox News is, has lost at least 20% of its audience slash influence among likely Iowa caucus goers. And I would imagine in some other parts of the country that are even more traditionally red, even more uh, uniquely MAGA, I would bet you if it's 20% here, like what do you think the number is like in Mississippi, Alabama, right, Todd? I mean, mm-hmm. I would think it, I mean, I would imagine we're, you know, they're in a free fall compared to the monolithic I remember my my last like exit, I guess it really wasn't an exit interview, but it kind of worked out that way with the cruise campaign. And number one piece of advice I had for Ted, if you want to run again in, in 2020, if Trump doesn't win, just get on Fox News as many times as possible the next four years. Doesn't matter what you say. <laughs> that was my advice. I'm not sure that's the, the game plan, though, uh, anymore moving forward. But I, I sense a new power is rising. Another tectonic shift is forthcoming. And we will get into that for fake news or not. There's a tectonic shift at the uh, box office over the weekend. We'll talk about that in Pop Culture Tuesday. Because as I predicted recently on the Days Group, it does look as if Tom Cruise is going to save Hollywood from itself for the second year in a row. The new Mission Impossible film is absolutely fantastic in all the right ways. And contains none of the things no one wants to see nowadays. Not coincidentally. So uh, we will talk about that as well. Uh, We're going to talk about how to lead like a Marine... At the bottom of this hour, right this minute, we're going to talk about welcoming back, though, an old friend. Our old friend at Sweat Block has returned. And just in time, because little programming note for this week on the show, you will get five full days of original programming this week. On Friday, though, you will not get your normal Friday show. Friday, I'm going to be on my way out to L.A. I've got two events in L.A. this weekend on behalf of Nefarious. One of them uh, at uh, Chino Hills Calvary Chapel Church there, home of Pastor Jack Hibbs. So I'll be doing two events in Southern California uh, this coming weekend uh, in promotion of the film Nefarious, which is out right now on DVD. We're about 75% to profitability, guys. Looking at the latest numbers as of uh, July 16th. So... 
this is going to end up being a profitable film. And that means the odds you're going to get more nefarious content uh, that is rising as well. So we're excited about that. Thank you all so much. The, the stream windows have been immensely successful for us thus far and are still ongoing over at Salem Now, Amazon Prime, uh, Google slash YouTube, iTunes slash Apple. And uh, Voodoo, please remember, though, to keep leaving those five-star reviews at Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb if you like the movie. So I'm going to be headed out to L.A. to do a couple of events uh, for Nefarious this weekend. So we promised for the last several months that we were going to do for Ron DeSantis, what we did for Donald Trump earlier this year with an Evergreen. We had a listener sub- submit questions that he thinks ought to be asked about a Trump candidacy. We are going to do the same thing. We had another listener submit those questions for Ron DeSantis. We recorded that Evergreen recently. That is the Evergreen, the brand new episode that you will hear on Friday while I, while I am on my way out to SoCal. Tremendous. Um, and then Monday, we're just off. I gave Todd and Aaron the day off a long weekend after uh, a busy, long last couple of weeks. So no show on Monday. Friday will be a special evergreen uh, episode where we will uh, t- give the DeSantis uh, can- idea of a DeSantis presidency in a campaign, uh, a proctology exam. But uh, one of the things we're going to do out in L.A., is I've not been to Universal Studios in SoCal since I was a little kid, and I went there a ton when I was a little kid. You know, the original King uh, Jaws ride from the 70s where Jaws, Jaws would come out of the water. Remember that as a little kid? All right, and so Amy's traveling with me. This is the first time we've ever gone to, like, a major attraction ever without kids, and we're going to go out to Universal. I looked at the weather forecast. It's going to be 93. All right. On the day that we're going out to Universal, Amy's like, maybe we should get out there as soon as it opens. All right. So remember, I went to Universal Orlando a couple of years ago when the last time Sweat Block was with us. And I went there in the dead of winter when I wasn't used to the heat at all. We put Sweat Block to the test. Right. And I came back and gave it rave reviews. So I'm taking I'm, I'm taking my Sweat Block with me out to SoCal this weekend for the scorching high temperatures. And we'll put it to the test again. So if you also um, want to deal with excessive sweat uh, where Sweat Block is concerned, it can work work for days and days, help you eliminate embarrassing sweat stains, stay dry and confident with sweat block works amazingly well. All right. If you are tired of sweating profusely when you get nervous or at presentations, maybe even a date. All right. Try the deodorant stick. You can try the great wipes. My own teenage son said, hey, man, I could use those wipes because the work football workouts are just blowing right through my deodorant. I bought some more of those for him out of pocket, and he raves about it. All right, go to sweatblock.com today for 20% off and use the promo code DACE for 20% off. Promo code DACE for 20% off as we welcome Sweatblock sweat back to the show. Easy for me to say. Sweatblock.com, sweatblock.com, promo code DACE. And with that, let's get to it. Here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by indictment number three. Donald Trump released a statement this morning indicating he is indeed a target of special counsel Jack Smith's investigation into January 6th and saying he expects his third indictment in four months. Trump said, among other things in this statement, quote, This witch hunt is all about election interference and a complete and total political weaponization of law enforcement. It is a very sad and dark period for our nation, end quote. The news comes the day after the Georgia Supreme Court unanimously rejected Trump's last-ditch effort to stop a potential indictment in that state on an election interference investigation. Moving on, Ron DeSantis was in South Carolina yesterday and will campaign in the state today as well. And boy, howdy, did he have an eventful town hall 
which was interrupted by groomers. He's sitting here talking about uh, all of our children. I have something to say to him. Why don't you focus on spending more time with your granddaughter in Arkansas or at least acknowledge she exists? Before you worry about our children. And they shouldn't be worrying about our children either. We don't want you indoctrinating our children. Leave our kids alone. DeSantis has also had this exchange with a Trump supporter. I'm a very hardcore Trump supporter. But I know he made me stop and think a minute because my love for President Trump comes from all the despair, all the things that he's been through, has served as our president of the United States, and he did a good job. But all the things, I'm thinking more with my heart and my sorrow and my love for him and for this country. But now I have, this is the most important vote that we're gonna have, and I have to think more with my mind and what's best for this country. And you did an excellent job, and I certainly appreciate God bless you, thank you. I appreciate that. And, um, you know, I agree with you. I appreciate what President Trump did. Uh, how they treated him with things like Russia collusion was a disgrace. And, um, and he was treated wrong. Uh, he was treated in ways that were unconstitutional. Uh, but here's the thing. The question for us now is what are we going to do about it? And we need to end the weaponization of government. I will get that done. DeSantis also opened up on the many problems with the COVID jabs, fielding a question from South Carolina activist Kelly McCarty. So you have, obviously people die normally in life. It's part of life, right? Well, they measure that and they kind of know what the normal amount of mortality in society would be. So when COVID hit, you had what was called excess mortality. More people die than would normal in 2020 because of COVID. And so that was probably to be expected. They roll out the COVID jabs, and the thought was between natural immunity and the shots, you would basically eliminate excess mortality. And yet today, excess mortality has not budged. It's still abnormally high. So the question is, is why did that happen? Why have we had basically three years of excess mortality? Um, and and what, is, what is the reason for that? That's one of the reasons we want to clear out every, all these agencies, these health agencies, because they have not been honest uh, with, the, with the American people about any of this, and you deserve honesty. In Iowa, DeSantis' super PAC never backed down is unleashing a seven-figure ad buy in the state for this spot. Governor Kim Reynolds is a conservative champion. She signed the heartbeat bill and stands up for Iowans every day. So why is Donald Trump attacking her? I opened up the governor position for Kim Reynolds, and when she fell behind, I endorsed her, did big rallies, and she won. Now she wants to remain neutral. I don't invite her to events. Trump should fight Democrats, not Republicans. What happened to Donald Trump? Never back down is responsible for the content of this advertising. It appears Vivek Ramaswamy contradicted himself during his answer to Tucker Carlson about January 6th at the Family Leadership Summit in Des Moines last week. You want to know what caused January 6th? There's such a temptation to say that there's one man whose name is unspeakable. We can't. No, first of all, it's QAnon. It's QAnon. It's QAnon. <laughs> You want to know what caused January 6th? 
is pervasive censorship in this country in the lead up to January 6th. You tell people in this country they cannot speak, that is when they scream. You tell people they cannot scream, that is when they tear things down. In tweets in the week following J6, Ramaswamy repeatedly blasted Trump saying, quote, what Trump did last week was wrong, downright abhorrent, plain and simple. I've said it before and did so in my piece. In another tweet, Ramaswamy says, Trump's egregious behavior last week blinds us from seeing that big tech's cure is worse. And finally, Congresswoman Cori Bush. First of all, we must internalize the flatulation of the matter by transmitting medication abortion is a lifeline it's a lifeline for the trans folks who face transphobia and bigotry because of anti-lgbt plus laws and outrageous bans on a, a gender affirming care liquids here for one moment i'd like to continue the redundance of my and that's what happened while we were away <laughs> you, you can't use no, that, those Damon Wayans clips from back in the day on In Living Color enough as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I, that's one of my all-time So favorites. far ahead of its time. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends at My Patriot Supply. So are you a little bit concerned about what's happening in the economy right now? You should be. That's why you should also be prepared just in case. Oh, that could never happen here. Happens here. Again. Uh, uh, make sure. You get the three-week, I'm sorry, one-week emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. The one-week emergency food supply right now, just in case. Just in case. Oh, that could never happen here. Happens here again, indeed. All right? Uh, go to preparewithdace.com. That's preparewithdace.com. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, even drinks and snacks. The full complement of the 2,000-plus calories that you need per day. Just in case, let's go, Brandon. Really gets going. All right, preparewithdace.com. Again, that is preparewithdace.com. Coming up later today, exclusively for Blaze TV subscribers in the overtime. I've got a poll going. It just expired. I asked you, is there anything, and I mean anything, that Vladimir Putin could do in or to Ukraine that would convince you it is in the United States' interest to get involved directly militarily? We will look at those results, and then we will analyze them and discuss them in the overtime today for Blaze TV subscribers exclusively at blazetv.com. Slash Dace, if you want to make sure you don't miss that, just 10 bucks a month. Get the discounted subscription for Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash dace right now. All right, let's get to the montage. And, and really, there's, there's a dynamic here that I want to, I want to focus on. Because I, I think events of the last 24 hours have, at, well, have absolutely crystallized the, the two gravitational poles of this... A Republican primary. And there are only two candidates people are willing to vote for for president because there's only two candidates that have proven they're worthy of a vote. Only two candidates that have proven they represent any form of disruption, and they both do in their own way. DeSantis with his um, level of governance, Trump with his persona. Um, although, you know, as you saw in that clip, DeSantis has some persona, too, that can get drawn out. And Trump, of course, has accomplishments and, alleged, and, and a resume of, of record on issues that matter to us, too. But the lead pitch, 
right? That's the second pitch for each of those guys. If we're looking, you know, we're in baseball Correct. season, right? Okay. And hey, if you're a great pitcher, your number two pitch is pretty good, right? Yes. Okay. But there's the pitch that when you got it, when you got to get an out to get out of a jam, what's the, what's your go-to pitch? And for Trump, it's his persona. For DeSantis, it's his ruthless willingness to deploy power to end you. Okay, and for Trump, it's his ruthless willingness to use his persona to end you. That's each of their go-to pitches. Okay, and and the, there is there is real reason and legitimate conviction for why you would align with either one of those gravitational poles or find yourself caught between them because they again both have legitimacy, and you can see it in Aaron's montage. You know, go back to the beginning of this year, and I started predicting right away they're going to perp walk him for January 6th. Like, they're going to do that. That's where this is headed. They're making the case. So they're almost treating it like a RICO case. Start with the low-level people, work our way up, and eventually get to the big cheese. And, you know, we had our friend Julie Kelly on, who's done more work on this than anybody else. And, I, you know, we asked her what, what she thought. She goes, I, I've been saying the exact same thing myself. That's where this is going. That's ultimately where this is going. And you saw Julie on Twitter today say, I'm not, I don't take any joy in being right, but this is what I have been talking about since this calendar year began. They do not have juries in Washington, D.C. They have gulags. He's doomed there. Absolutely doomed there for being Donald Trump on a sunny day. Finding a jury that will give him any semblance of a fair shake. And then you still have Manhattan, we still have Fulton County, Georgia, and then we still have the case in Miami, which today is a big day in that case. They're arguing whether to continue, uh, delay the trial that is still scheduled for August the 14th. Um, how much, uh, how much classified material will the Trump team get access to in the discovery process? And I'll just tell you right now, what'll ha- Judge Cannon, uh, who has been. Pretty down the middle so far, but in, in my view. But she's also a Trump appointee. The minute it looks like she has sided with Trump on anything, that would make it more difficult for uh, the DOJ down there. They're going to, I believe, they'll just move the case. They'll file a superseding indictment. You know, we kept asking ourselves, you know, where's the grounds for the mistrial and leaking that audio from Trump from mm-hmm. a few weeks ago? Well, it, I, it, I think the reason they haven't filed it yet is that audio is actually not technically material to that case. It's, that audio was actually recorded in New Jersey, not in Florida. And so I could absolutely see the Department of Justice file a superseding indo- in- indictment in New Jersey, which would then take precedence, I believe, from what I understand, over the case in Miami and render it largely moot at that point. Hell, they might just do that anyway, because probably more likely to find a judge and a jury favorable to them in New Jersey than now redder than Texas, Florida, right? Yeah. Even in Miami-Dade. I mean, DeSantis won Miami-Dade last year. Trump damn near won it in 2020. I think he got like 47% of the vote there. So finding a few jurors... Finding a couple of Cuban freedom fighters or who were raised by Cuban freedom fighters to get on a jury in Miami to hang a jury for you, hell of a lot easier to find that than, say, New Jersey, right? Yes. Or Chris Christie's the right winger, okay? So I could see that happening. I mean, what, what he has to do here to win, and that's, this is, you're going to have to beat the Department of Justice before we even get to how do you broaden your appeal. Here's the thing, though. There is a not insignificant amount of you that don't want to hear that right now. 
And I don't blame you at all because you know what is happening right now is unjust and you are correct. We are in a cold civil war. And I know he loves to say witch hunt, but this time it is one. I know he loves to play the victim, but this time he is, he is one. What's happening to him is unfair. And you're right to want to be loyal to him in this moment of trial, in my view. Because we all know the only reason ultimately he's facing this, even if there are things, are there things, you know, like, you know, maybe don't show a Chinese lobbyist, you know, a map that could, that might be classified material. Technically, is that probably illegal? Technically, just as a standalone construct. Yeah, probably. On the, this isn't what about ism. This is, are you serious about your own standard? Um, okay. I, I showed Susie Wiles, my campaign manager who, in another life was a Chinese lobbyist. I showed her a classified map. Um, Hunter Biden is um, on tape doing business deals for the big man to get his 10% of money directly from the shy comms themselves, right? Correct. Just goes to show we're not serious about this on any level. No. This isn't about, hey, we're going to root out corruption and let's go get Trump while we're at it and make an example out of him. No, this is let's, let's go get Trump. Trump is John Travolta and get shorty at this point. It's just he's guilty of being him. And it's really what he's guilty of is representing us or you, people that like you who were with him and saw it before I did. Saw what he truly represented before, frankly, I did, which is ironic because he came to me before he came to a lot of you and I just didn't see it. You did. And so, frankly, I think it's also a very Christ-like inclination to say, why would I abandon somebody when they are facing persecution because they didn't abandon me? I'm not here to argue or debate that at all. And if I were advising the DeSantis campaign, I would not even try to do that. But then there's another gravitational pull here, and that's the future. There's one gravitational pull, which is Trump is being persecuted for what he did and whom he represented in the past. And now there's another gravitational pull, and that is our precarious future. And you're looking at what Ron DeSantis did in Florida. He extincted the Democratic Party in Florida. They are extinct, basically. The county, Palm Beach County, where the infamous Florida recount began. Uh, the voting machines told me I was voting for Gore, Gore, but it came up Buchanan. Remember, that's how the whole thing started. That's how they had to do the hand recounts. Yeah. Then we got into hanging chads. It started with the voting machines. So those of you out there who believe in the theory of, dom- of dominion and voting machines, and you're being called all forms of kook because of this, understand... 20 years, 20 years before Mike Lindell held a single presentation questioning the validity of voting machines, Democrats tried to steal a presidential election over the idea that in Democratic Palm Beach County, people went to vote for Al Gore and voted for Pat Buchanan instead. And so for that, for that reason, we're just going to have endless recounts and line up people in Democratic counties to guess how people are voting. And, you know, how is the Chad hanging low? Is it hanging sweet, sweet and low? OK, remember those days? Yes. That's where it all began was right there. Ron DeSantis won that county in the last election, man. That county won that place. Got those people, those people who ran to CNN to say, I voted for Buchanan, I meant to vote for Gore, steal the election. That community voted for Ron DeSantis in the last election. He led that state through a Hurricane Katrina-like storm, but you don't even know that because they got out of it with basically nary a scratch. What did our colleague Oron McIntyre say? That his community was devastated last year and, and DeSantis got the bridge in and out of town rebuilt in three days. Like it was nothing, just demanded it happen. 
And that's before we even get to all the COVID stuff that our audience is going to know because we talked about all that in real time at the time. And so there's this other gravitational pull, looking at a guy that's 45 years old, who's got real skin in the game personally with young kids, and thinking, our futures are screwed if we don't win this next election. So let's go around the landscape here and look at who's done the best job of winning around here recently. That guy has. And so there's legitimate gravitational pull to the past because Trump is being persecuted for what he has done and whom he has stood for in the past. And then there is real gravitational pull for, I know that sucks, but, you know, um, I don't, you know, I, my family has to win. You saw that in that woman in that video. I, she's in tears and she's, I, I sympathize with her. They're doing this to my guy because he fought for me. But I also don't know what to do if we don't win. I, I, I don't know how to secure my kid's future. I don't know how to stop. I mean, at this point, the only way Trump avoids being incarcerated to some level for the rest of his natural life, in my view, is either he or someone who is willing to has to win, then when then pardon him. And so there's these two gravitational poles in this primary. And, and the news of today, in my view, encapsulate the entirety of this race. And if, if you are on Team DeSantis, you know what? I've, I've, I've threatened to do this privately for several days. I'm going to do it publicly today. If you are part of, of, of kind of the unofficial Twitter network, because I, I asked the DeSantis campaign. I was curious. Are you paying these people? No. I told them they probably should. They'd get better. Um, they, they would, they'd be getting better content if they did. Like, that's why Trump pays people, to get better content. You are not helping. Many of you are not helping your candidate. I'm not, I'm not talking about, like, official surrogates like our old colleague Dave Rubin or Dave Reboy. I'm talking about people who are just huge DeSantis fans that aren't affiliated with the campaign in any way. You spend way too much time talking about Trump. You spend way too much time talking about the past. Let me tell you some advice. A dear friend of mine, Richard Vigory, one of the, one of the OGs, of the, one of the founders of the conservative movement. I saw Richard over the weekend while he was here for the Family Leadership Summit, and he said something to me I want to relay to you. He said, you know what? I have been intimately involved in every presidential election since 1960. And Richard has. He's like 90. I've been involved in every presidential election since 1960, and they were all decided on one issue, he told me. You know what it was? The future. Who did a better job speaking of to the future? Won every single one of them. Every single one. Every one. Whoever spoke to the future better won. Too much of Ron DeSantis's unofficial following on Twitter, and why does it matter? Because that's what a lot of my conservative media colleagues say. And if you're annoying me, and I'm about, I'm about as favorable to giving you a hearing as anybody else is with a significant platform. I can't even imagine how much you're annoying a lot of other people, frankly. You spend way too much time talking about Trump in the past, not enough time talking about your candidate and the future. If I'm on the Trump campaign, I want this to be about the past. Look what I did for you. And now look, as a result of that, look at what they're doing to me. That is his absolute strongest message, is it not? Yeah, because you know why? It's true. hundred percent. It's true. It's all true. And we all know this. And if you're on the DeSantis team to act like there's that's not true is, is you're, you're, you're a detriment to your own candidate. Don't 
don't ignore people's feelings when they're valid because it doesn't necessarily fit your narrative. That's, that's not a great strategy like ever. Now, if the feelings aren't valid, then by all means, ignore them. But these, va- these feelings to me seem pretty valid, Todd. What do you think? Sure. Yeah. So ignore, you ignore them, then it's your own peril. To me, your argument is the future. Who is the stronger leader for the future? Is America likely to be stronger in the future with Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump? That's the argument you want to have. And I don't see enough of his Twitter following doing that. In fact, I rarely see that happen, as a matter of fact. Trump wants you to talk about him. You're helping Trump. Trump doesn't care if it's positive or negative. It's about him. He counts it as a win. That's marketing 101. Mind share equals market share. Only bad publicity, the obituaries. That's it. And over the course now of the next 180 days until Iowa and beyond, whichever side is more effective at pressing their best, their best narrative, whether it's Trump, they stole it from me in the past, they did. I was there on election night as they were stealing it, calling it out as a matter of fact. They're persecuting me because of what I did for you. That's true too. Yes. Okay. So if that's what this is about, Trump will win. If it's about the future, who's the stronger leader, who has proven to be more consistent, more competent, who actually finishes things, that's what being a stronger leader means, who can actually broaden, has proven they can broaden a base, they can win people back to us that should be voting for us, win over people that don't know yet that they should be voting for us. If it's about the future and looking ahead, DeSantis will win. But those are the two gravitational poles. Right now, looking to the past is clearly winning. And if you are on Team DeSantis, and I'm especially talking, because I'm just going to guess the campaign people are smart enough to know this themselves. So I'm especially talking to those of you that are on Twitter in the city, in this, at the city gate all day long, defending your guy. You're not defending your guy. You're attacking the other guy to the detriment of your guy. Talk about the future. That is your story. The past is his. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right, I want to get you guys' thoughts on what we were just talking about later in this segment, all right? So assemble them for sure. But what we were just talking about is indicative of the fact that we have a leadership crisis in America, really comprehensively. A crisis of leadership uh, in our homes, 
when it comes to the state of American fatherhood, the crisis of, of leadership in our pulpits, um, when it comes to the state of the church, the crisis of leadership in our in, in public office, when it comes to virtually everything we care about, okay? Um, so a great opportunity for us to talk about a new book here today, Lead Like a Marine. Run towards a challenge, assemble your fire team, and win your next battle. Captain John Warren, Master Sergeant John Thompson, the co-authors. And John joins us here on the show here today. John, it is a pleasure, brother, to have you with us on Blaze TV. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. So, John, I have no idea what would ever prompt you to write a book about leadership. Um, well, I think you just hit the head on the nail That's on me the being head. sarcastic, by the way. So go ahead. The floor is yours, John. Yeah, I mean, I just think you look around all of society, look in politics, look in Washington, look in my home state of South Carolina, Columbia, look at different religious organizations, look at our schools, look at business. We have a deficit of leadership and we just need to restore things back to sanity. And that's why we wrote the book. Okay. How do we do that? Is it a process, John? Is it how do we do that? Or who is going to do that? I think it's all of the above. Mm -hmm. I mean, we need leaders who are conservative, courageous, and competent. And I firmly believe that if you're not one, if you're not all three of those things, you lack one area, uh, you're not going to be a great leader. And in the book, we talk a lot about core values. We talk about a lot of our Marines, corporals, sergeants, uh, who showed a ton of bravery, but they were all of the above. They possessed the core values, the competence, and then they were also courageous. And we should expect and we should demand that in our leaders across the country. Can we do that, John, if we're not even sure what that looks like ourselves? The amount of men in my audience... And I'm one of them. I'm a kid born to a 15-year-old mom. My stepdad wasn't the greatest example of a father whatsoever. Um, There's a lot of people that don't know what the kinds of leadership that was inherent in previous generations that they were able to take for granted. They don't know what that looks like. And so they're not even sure how to hold their leaders to a standard that they've never seen emulated themselves. And I think that's a huge challenge. And, you know... Nowhere is there a lack of leadership more than in the current White House. No one in the White House leads like a Marine. But I would say there are very few people in the Republican Party that also lead like a Marine. So it's it's sad across the board. I think uh, what you saw, you guys did an amazing job last week, the Blaze putting on the candidate forum in Iowa. I thought it was great. I think it exposed some people, especially people like Vice President Pence, Asa Hutchinson. And I think we've got to have more leaders question and uh, bring to light what these leaders, what their values are, what they believe and how they're gonna accomplish what they're talking about rather than just sound bites. So tell us then how you learn these lessons from the Marines. And I'm guessing it was not, it was the previous iteration of the Marines not the, uh, the, the Marines that uh, read Drag Queen Storytime Hour that uh, we are being subjected to right now. Well, just one correction there. I would say it's the, when you have the read, dra- read uh, the Drag Queen Hour, that's not all the Marines. Most Marines do not support that and never would. So that's stuff that's being pushed on the Marine Corps. But uh, the Marine Corps that I was part of, we stressed core values. We stressed, you know, honor, courage, commitment, honesty, integrity, 
team units, grit, and courage. And right now, we're just not seeing that anywhere in America. Is it a coincidence that we're not seeing those, and, and those values are not exclusively masculine, but they are uniquely masculine, right? I mean, women can absolutely embody those instincts as well, just like men can embody a nurturing instinct as well. I change plenty of diapers. I cuddle with my babies plenty of times, but inherently, uniquely, that, is, that was their mom's gifts in the, in the image, that, in the way that she was made. So what you're describing are gifts that are not exclusively, but are uniquely inherent in masculinity. And it seems as if we are, you know, doing everything we can to, to stomp that out as a society and in virtually every venue or platform at the moment, including the military. Well, not only are we trying to stomp out masculinity, we're trying to stomp out what a female is. I mean, you know, if you ask half of the people teaching gender studies, they can't tell you what a woman is. Mm -hmm. So we, we got to return to some truth and some sanity and some Judeo-Christian values. If you could sit down right now with a leader, tell me who it would be, whom it would be, and then what would you tell them if they gave you five minutes and they would be receptive to any message that you offered them? Which leader would you choose and what would you tell them? Well, I mean, I, I think you got to go with people in power. I mean, I'm not sure it would do any good, and I'm not sure you could comprehend, but I would sit down with the president and talk to him about his foreign policy. I'd talk to him about what he's, what he's doing in Ukraine, what, you know, what he's doing to weaken the American military. I would talk to him and try to persuade him that we need to return to fiscal responsibility, that we need to protect our military first and build it up, and that the number one security threat to America is China. So I would start there. I'm not sure I would get anywhere. I'm not sure he can comprehend what I would tell him, mm -hmm. but uh, I would definitely start with Biden. That last part there, I think, is important, John, what you just said, because what we don't know is is the other side of this of this national debate and conversation pursuing things which seem to be obviously defied by historical precedent common sense the laws of nature and nature's god what what truth has revealed works and doesn't work is it just that they have a commitment to is it just that they're not terrible people but they have commitment to an aberrant worldview in opposition to those things. And they are going to pursue it to its logical end out of a sincere, although extremely misguided conviction. And so they don't, they're, in a way, they don't know what they are doing. Or is it purposeful? Is this a managed decay? The destruction is purposeful. And I think that matters quite a bit because our approach and how we would respond would be different. I guess another way of saying this, John, are we dealing with sheep or are we dealing with wolves? I think you're dealing with both. I mean, I think the people that control Biden are probably wolves. And I think President Biden are, you know, is an example of a sheep. But frankly, I think a lot of Republicans are sheep as well. They just go along with everything. They either don't believe the Republican platform that they espouse, or they don't lack the courage to stand up for it. And you know, that needs to change. When you got out of the Marines, how did you take what you learned there and apply them to your own life? How did you set that example? 
You know, I had, a, I had an interesting story. I faced what a lot of veterans face. I came out of the Marine Corps. I was an infantry officer and I just gotten married and uh, needed to start providing for my family. But I faced what a lot of veterans face, which is, hey, we really appreciate your service, but we don't think you have any skill sets that can really help our company. And, you know, that's the number one problem I see in business today. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, I had to find an idea. I had to find an opportunity. I started a, a lending company. I hired uh, my company gunnery sergeant from Iraq, who is a retired master sergeant with nine deployments. And we built an amazing mortgage company. And we did it with unique marine values, uh, a way of analyzing the market that most people didn't do. And we grew that into a multi-billion dollar originator that now, I think today, they're employing about 350 people. That's not bad. It, it, was, okay. it was an amazing yeah. journey. Everyone said, hey, congratulations, you took a great risk. And I said, well, I didn't have anything to lose, so it wasn't that big of a risk. I was just kind of desperate. But I think that's the American story that so many people need to hear. That's still possible. You know, we don't need to have equity for everyone, right? It's equal opportunity, and now, mm -hmm. now the left's trying to change it. But my story is one of grit, of you know, hard work. Uh, we failed a lot more times and we succeeded early on and we overcame it and we built a, a huge company and sold it in 2019. And that's what we want to, that's the story we want for our kids, not, hey, we'll give you $30,000 a year for life, uh, keep you down. Uh, that's, that's not the American dream. So then if you sold that business, what's next for you then? Well, you know, I ran, I really had to, I didn't have to sell the company, but in 2018, I stepped away from the company. I stepped down as CEO to become chairman in order to run for governor of South Carolina. Uh, I got into the late, the race late, came from behind uh, and lost ultimately by a few points in the runoff to the incumbent governor. But uh, I have a passion for for public service. I really think we do have problems with leadership across the board, not only nationally, but also statewide. So I'm really devoting myself to that. I've got a seven and a half, five and a half and a four year old. So they're keeping me busy too. And I do some investing on the side. So obviously yours is a name. It sounds like we will be hearing more from in the future, John, before we let you go. Men in the audience are like, I would love to step in. I would love to lead. I didn't have a good father. I didn't have a great example. I'm not really sure I know how to do it. What would you say to encourage them? Well, I would say everyone can step up and be a leader, you know, not to push the book, but by lead like a Marine, you can see unbelievable examples. You know, we in, we in the book on a chapter called lead from the front. And I talk about one of my young Marines who was a corporal. He was in the Nalzad district of Afghanistan. He led a group of Marines on a patrol. They were ambushed by about 50 to 100 uh, Taliban fighters. He hit an IED, severed both of his legs, and Mike Ouellet stayed in the fight. He led his Marines with tourniquets on both legs. He called on his own um, casualty evacuation. He called on Cobras to bring in air support to save all of his Marines, and he refused to leave the battlefield until he was the last one off. Hmm. And Mike wasn't perfect uh, by any means, but I think Mike gives encouragement to all of us that we have capabilities to lead that we might not think we have, uh, and we just need to step up and do what we need to do. 
Amen, brother. Well said. Name of the book, Lead Like a Marine, Run Towards a Challenge, Assemble Your Fire Team, and Win the Next Battle. Captain John Warren. John, first of all, thank you for your service, brother. And uh, look forward to hearing more from you in the future. God bless. All right. Take care. Thanks, Steve. You bet. All right, gentlemen, let's pivot back to what I was discussing. Um, these two gravitational poles right now um, in the race. And, and by the way, you know, Chris, I mean, Kevin McCarthy isn't speaker right now without Donald Trump. I don't understand why, you know, they've got the budget battle going on right now and the funding for the rest of the year. If, I mean, if, if, if you had the ear of the Speaker of the House and you were being politically persecuted like Trump is, and, and most, of, most of the voters that would ever vote for you agree that you are being persecuted publicly. If you're Donald Trump, wouldn't you be screaming from the rooftops to Kevin McCarthy, burning up his phone at least privately? Dude, we're defunding the, we're, we're defunding the DOJ. We're not, we're not going to keep funding these guys. Why do why we keep writing these guys checks just to keep politically persecuting us? What are we doing here? Isn't it, I mean, I, in a way it kind of feels like Demand DeSantis give me extradition protection. I agree to that, actually. And DeSantis, at least it apparently appeared to me, begrudgingly did. But then Trump just turns himself in the next morning. So what was the whole point of that episode, right? I, so I agree. It's a witch hunt. I agree it's a persecution. Then why, why, are, why don't you have the people on Capitol Hill that can, you know, have the power of the purse to point a proverbial gun at the DOJ and say, hey, we're just going to line item you out until this stuff stops. Why, why wouldn't you do that? You mean, I, under, I don't understand that. You mean this whole group of people that collectively, collectively decided to protect Anthony Fauci instead of demanding he get fired? You mean that group of people? Yeah, Steve? I just, if, but if you were facing the, being incarcerated for the rest of your natural life like Donald Trump is, wouldn't you be telling people, you know, hey, uh, stop funding the people that are persecuting? I got used to their priorities and their logic being much different than mine a long time ago, Steve. It's it's the weather. All right. That was a rabbit trail. Forgive me. Now the floor is yours. You guys, you guys thoughts on what I laid out in the first segment. Well, that last part about um, the Twitter uh, warriors in defense of DeSantis. There's a couple things going on there. A, there's a proof of concept of chaos and destruction a la Trump. The the guy they're ripping on now, but they learned from him that 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 works. A lot of scalps were earned by Donald Trump uh, going into the media spheres and just creating chaos. So there's that level of momentum. And secondly, Twitter specifically, it's a you will not it's not organically aspirational. Really? <laughs> Newsflash. Nice. But they they feel like they're doing they're good. it's it's designed to be a glorious rock fight. It, actually, it's I don't know if it was designed that way, but that's what it has become. And and that's a that's a a good thing. So they're in that fray, but they need a message. They absolutely yeah. need a theme, a message, Costanza, you know, something and right now. <laughs> nice. Uh, listen, in, in the defense of the ones who might give the message, uh, certain leaders on Twitter or even DeSantis themselves, we are dealing with like 10 existential crises at one time. So it takes a certain talent to come to that point, to come up with it, but come up with it. Ultimately, they must.
What do you think, Aaron? Yes, and I, I would say, you know, when you're talking about um, talking more about Trump than you are about DeSantis, I have fallen in. You're talking to me. I don't know if you know. You're talking to me because I have done. I've fallen into that. The number of times, especially the last two, three, four weeks, that I've started to respond to something, and then hey, you know, I'm, and then I just this is this is meaningless. This is pointless. This is going nowhere. Just deleted the tweet. You know. I, that's happened about you know two, three dozen times <laughs> recently. At the same time, the Trump influencers on Twitter, especially, have shown they are not constrained by you know actually finding the truth. Do you just let that go? Because in my mind, it's an all-or-nothing strategy. If you're on Twitter, you respond to every untruth, you respond to every lie, and disabuse them of every single lie, or you completely ignore the influencers. That's how I think. Not saying that's the right way to think. That's just how I think. I don't think you can let this let them go. I don't think you can just let lies go completely. And that's not what you're advocating for. I don't think. No. Uh, but at the same time, I do agree. At some point, if there could be just one week, maybe leading up to the debate, where you know we joked about Todd during uh, 2020 a couple of times, the uh, the keys on his keyboard that uh, spelled out Black Mirror update were kind of worn out. Wear out the D E S A N T and I keys on your keyboard just for one week and then ignore the other keys that, you know, talk about Trump. Aspire to something just for one week, ignore the noise for just for one week. I think to kind of reboot the online or Twitter narrative surrounding DeSantis, I think something like that might be necessary. General rule if you're talking about something more than your own candidate, you're not helping your candidate. No matter who that candidate is or no matter what else you're saying. That is an iron law of the political universe. Hour two is next. All right, back here on Blaze TV. Radio and podcast. It is hour two. I'm Steve Dace. He's Todd Erson. He is Aaron McIntyre, and you are you, and you can let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the show, Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, me, we, and Gab. Follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Getter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can also find me via the podcast, and a lot of you have. A lot of you have. So please, if you've yet to do this, leave us a five-star review. Uh, hit subscribe or follow. And thank you to all of you that have done those things for us already. We appreciate each and every one, just as we appreciate our friends over at Preborn. There will come a day, and it's getting closer than ever, where conceivably a ministry like Preborn won't be necessary anymore. We've taken a big step the last few years towards that day. But it is not yet that day. So until then... They need support from people like us. You can make a tax-deductible donation to Preborn. And what they will do with that money is perfectly model truth and grace. They will confront mothers with an unwanted pregnancy with the truth of the fact that they are carrying with them, inside of them, that heartbeat is not theirs. It's not their own. It's somebody else's. It's not their body, therefore. That's somebody else. 
And about 80% of the time when they do that, mom won't go through with killing her child. That's great. But then this is where the grace comes in. Mom is still in crisis. Mom still needs help. And so everything from car seats to post and prenatal care, all of that, counseling even, all of that free of charge because of donations from people like us. Did you know just $28 pays for an ultrasound, that the 80% chance that your 28 bucks would save a life? Go to preborn.com slash Steve if you want to get involved, you want to support. Preborn.com slash Steve. Again, that's preborn.com slash Steve. Or you can dial pound 250 on your mobile phone. That's pound 250 on your mobile phone or preborn.com slash Steve. So let's welcome in my oldest daughter, Anastasia. And Anna, you absolutely pushed us during the month of June and well into July that uh, while we were uh, celebrating all things debauched, we should be celebrating life instead because it is the, uh, the month, this, you know, last year, that we did take a big step to no longer having to, to do ministry against child sacrifice in America, again, with the overturning of Roe. Mm-hmm. And for the last week we're going to do that, I wanted to kind of pull rank on you a little bit. And I've been saving a note. And this note... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to withhold the name of the person who sent it, and when I read it, you'll understand why. Okay. But, but this note, I think, is it's, it, it's indicative of what has happened to a generation of women in America since Roe v. Wade. She writes, I, I feel it is time for my confession. I believe what I went through is likely the story of most women who decide to have one. I was 20 years old. When I woke up feeling sick, I immediately asked myself, oh no, what did I, when did I have my last period? I went straight to Target, bought a test, tested positive. I had stayed the night with a guy I had previously dated for a while, but wasn't exclusively seeing at the time. I left his house and I called two other guys I suspected could be the father to ask them when we had slept together last and remembered um, that one of them um, had a malfunctioning condom when I was with them. Pretty sure it was him. I drove to his house. We talked about what was going on. He tried to convince me not to go through with it. He offered to take the child and insisted that I would, uh, I would need to have any part in raising him or her if I didn't think I was ready. Somehow, ending the pregnancy seemed more reasonable than just giving the child away. I don't even know how I was thinking that. But when you're a young woman and you're scared and you're confused, you think things like that. I somehow felt it would be hard to know I had a child out there that I didn't have a part in raising. I ultimately decided to have an abortion because I was embarrassed although I didn't ever say it. As much as I figured it was his, it could have belonged to two other men, and I did not want to do testing to find out whose it was. Well, he ended up taking me to my appointment, waiting for it to be over, paying for it, and then caring for me afterwards. And I was very sick after I had the abortion. I remember feeling like I had a very severe case of the flu, but it was even worse. I was puking and bleeding. Thinking back, it was sad too, because he and I had once been at a bar together, and a gal sitting near us, he said, had an abortion after they were together. And did I mention that this guy was adopted? What a mess. I shudder to think I should have had a child graduating from high school this year. Years later, I now think about what led me to that point, sleeping with so many different guys. Before I graduated high school, I was molested by my uncle. I don't doubt that my need to find control with men stemmed from that experience since I had not lost my virginity until after high school. My sister getting pregnant at 16 was enough of a lesson to me to keep my legs closed up until my uncle ruined that for me, of course. When I was 24, I gave birth to my first daughter. 
My fiancé at that time wouldn't sign the recognition of parentage paperwork in the hospital, as he didn't think that the child was his. Interestingly enough, my sleeping around days had been pretty much over, and it was his past and his insecurities that fed into his actions. But guess who ended up needing to prove parentage after all? Me. My worry and embarrassment from before came full circle, and the script was flipped on me this time. Of course the child was his, and within the first year of her birth, he had literally left the country and never looked back. He gave up his rights eventually, though, and, and later my husband could adopt her after we got married. I've been married now for more than a decade. We've got two beautiful children. The more I think about my past and all that led up to that decision I made, the more upset I get with myself and others. I want to hold myself accountable finally. I don't want my children to, th- to go through what I did. My husband doesn't even know some of these things. I don't even know what he would think. Parts of my, only parts of my family do. After the abortion, I was fired from my job. Because I was young and dumb at 20 years old, I told a coworker why I needed the day off. She told my boss and said, and, and then the day after the procedure, when I drove into work, still very sick from ending my pregnancy the day before I was fired. My boss told me it was because I was rude to customers, but I knew why I was actually being fired. That firing led me to a new job where I became friends with a coworker, started doing meth. That's how I eventually met uh, my ex who made me take the DNA test. Needless to say, this brings me to watching your movie Nefarious. I was beside myself. Moral of my story, beware of the predators taking advantage of you and your children and don't sleep around. Killing babies should never be considered a type of birth control. I hope that tracked. I know I jumped around a bit in my lifetime or my timeline. I keep running into things that make me think about that time in my life and I'm sickened by my decision more and more every time I'm reminded. I'm frustrated beyond belief that I ever thought it was a solution and that others still find it as a solution and even find ways to help fund it for other women. I worry every day for the place our country is headed. I know that one perverted encounter did this to me, but what will happen to scores of other young children and teens and adults who are pushed into this perversion in a large scale? I worry every day for my children. That's the note that I wanted to share with you. Because not all these stories have happy endings. And every single one of them is, has a life at stake. And life and death consequences are what's at stake. I'm living testimony to that, which means you are, too, of course. Because you wouldn't be here if your grandma Vicky hadn't had made a different decision, right? Mm-hmm. Your sister wouldn't be here. Your brother wouldn't be here. This is also true on your mother's side of the family. Some decisions to have abortions were originally made on your mother's side of the family, too, and then not thankfully followed through. So me, you, your mom defied the odds on both ends of this equation. And but when we have when we say things like 60 million children have been killed. That shows you that most of the time. The odds win. The house wins. Most of the time, the odds are not defied. And then those who succumb to those demonic lies are left with a void and a hurt. And a lot of our, and a lot of our churches don't want to address this. Because it's divisive and I don't want to seem political. And so you have, woman, you have women, like the woman whose story I just shared with you, sit there in those, in those pews for years, dying 
a little bit of them dying inside of that guilt because the light of Christ was never invited in. Because we don't want to, we don't want to offend them by confronting them with what they did. Go back to what I just said about preborn a few minutes ago. Since they're never confronted with the reality of what's at stake with what they did or what they thought about doing, then there no grace is presented to them to heal them from what they may, from what they did and and help them to ultimately live the life and become the woman that God created them to be. And so as we, we kind of close out here, we, we, we gave life month about four more weeks than pride month got. So I think that's a fair ratio. As we close this out here, I, I wanted us to, to do so with a, with a reminder. This is not a game. We are playing for literally life and death existential stakes. And we, we don't just need to save the babies. We have to save the moms. And then we have to go back and save the moms who would be and should be, except the spirit of the age got to them before we did. And that's all. What do you think, sweetie? Yeah, I think what really stuck out to me was um, that manager when she like went into work the next day and the manager, instead of, you know, like taking an extra five to 10 minutes out of their day to just ask if they can do anything for their employee, even as something as simple as just having the rest of the day off. Like I remember before I worked for you and before I worked for the family leader, I was a store manager for a while at a store at the mall. And one of my like coworkers, one of my employees, like she had just gone through like a really bad like breakup, like, and those kind of things can be really difficult, especially when you're in that moment in the time. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I know it's just you today and I know I'm supposed to close, but like, I just need to go home. Like, I just need some time. Mm -hmm. And I mean, what's giving up one night for something that she'll remember for a lifetime just to be understanding and being like, yes, I will stay for you. You go home and just showing Christ-like love to that person. Mm -hmm. And even if that manager wasn't a believer, just showing somebody love for a situation that you can help control, like help ease and aid to. And so I think that's so important, especially like going to your point about the church and everything. Like um, one of the first stories we shared was a girl named Bree and she kind of went on in another video to talk about how like a lot of her friends from church alienated her. Like she had to stop going to church for a while and find a completely different church because the people that she was um, usually friends with or usually would go to Bible study with were exiling her because she was a young mother and she was new pregnant which just absolutely blows my mind because I, I think about all the stories in the bible where jesus welcomed people in who shouldn't have in our society standards be welcomed in mm-hmm. and all the stories of people that he showed love to and then eventually became you know believers themselves and inspired other people to become believers as well mm-hmm. so it, it that's probably the part that stuck out to me the most of just an absolute missed opportunity and something that we should be paying attention to as believers ourselves of where like even just the tiniest of things can help somebody and like change the course of their life because imagine if instead of firing her that boss was just like yes you can take off the day and even if you need to like you take off a couple days and we're going to be totally understanding about what you're going through like she wouldn't have gotten that other job and then she wouldn't have gotten addicted to like it was it's just crazy how the littlest of decisions can really help set a person's life on a different path how many and you there's no way to quantify this but how many we, how many weekends 
is a young woman of your age group in the same situation or just how many days, any day that ends in why mm-hmm. as a young woman. And given where we're at societally on one end or the other, and this, and this woman, of course, experienced both of them, both promiscuity and then the perversion that was committed against her. And one probably led to the other, frankly. Yeah. Okay. But this is, this is systemic legion among young women your age. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why we have to look at this as, I agree that in the Roe era, this was not exclusively, to use that, that distinction again, but uniquely a political issue. Because Roe is what gave birth to this. The political system is what, is what ratified and approved of this as an option for women to go kill their children and sacrifice them to the spirit of the age. That was not a systemic option for women prior to Roe. So it was not exclusively, but it was a uniquely political argument. I would now argue post-Roe. It is, it's not exclusively this. It's still a somewhat political argument. We're still going to have to have arguments about policy. Mm-hmm. You know, you work for Bob at the Family Leader, and your organization's having this argument on policy right now. Yeah. The governor's special session, she signed the bill. They're fighting it out in the courts again. Mm-hmm. So it is still a political battle. But now I would argue it, the script is flipped. It is now uniquely a spiritual and relational one now. Mm-hmm. Now that the shibboleth has been smashed and the idea of systemic kill your kid whenever you want, no one can say anything to you about it. Now that that shibboleth of the damned has been smashed, now we get back to what organizations like Preborn do. Now this is more about a spiritual and relational battle with the next generation of young women that are in the in, that are in the crosshairs of the darkness right now and the previous generation of young women like the the woman whose email i read who who got out of it but still haven't been made whole from that experience at the same time what do you think yeah no i i completely agree and i i just i don't know it just makes me sad to think about all of the different people in her life that could have influenced her in a better way but also just aided her in a better way and been there for her and it just makes me think about my life and it should make everybody else think about their life and how the simplest of things can change somebody's course like just like her going to see your movie you know like Mm -hmm. whether it didn't say whether she was like a fan of yours or not so maybe she just happened upon this movie like so many other people have sent you notes or sent me notes on your stuff saying like I just decided to go to this movie and it sparked all of this stuff or like one of the notes I read before where he was like my wife was just in such like loss and turmoil and then we brought her to this so it just it's just so important to remember like the tiniest of things how much those can be beneficial to people amen gentlemen you have any thoughts yeah people yes there's always opportunities but how, how really do we expect even Christians these days who are so poorly discipled, so poorly catechized to be ready for these moments that are undeniably challenging. You know, this woman, by her own admittance, came in, you know, her life was in disorder. She's, we're expecting people who ostensibly aren't Christians to receive her in this moment when her life looks like chaos. We, and a lot of this has to do because of what you just said, Steve. Even the church has made this a largely political conversation. It was never designed to be. That was one of the great scams the devil pulled off. It's always a spiritual issue. Uh, And our churches need to get back to forming a people that is equipped for a spiritual battle 
i.e. even under the best of times. It never stops being that. And I've said this before, the, the fact that your average Christian today in ways great and small is just so indistinguishable from anybody. You're, they, 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 they are confined by all the trappings of uh, this nation, the worldly desires, the worldly concerns. Th- that's by definition not a people who's going to be able to help this person and meet them where they're at. Aaron? I listened to that story, and it is, it's a succinct encapsulation of the devastating effects of sin. The devastating effects of sin and a lack of those willing and ready to call, to call the sinner out from the shame that they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. You know, each one of us in our unregenerate states, meaning apart from God and and not uh, being spiritually aligned with him and, and on, a, on a path to sanctification, meaning uh, putting off the old man and putting on the new. Each one of us goes through these series of Rubicons that we, that we cross in our spiritual lives, again, in our unregenerate state, a series of yeses, if you will, Eddie. And if you can cross the Rubicon of killing an unborn child, that, that opens yourself up to any number of things, any number of pitfalls that you can fall in, and that's illustrated in that story. And that's, that's a shame. But even more shameful is the lack of the church presence, or as Anna was saying, anybody in her life to call her out of that shame. The myth about the spiritual Rubicon is that it can actually, you can actually cross it back again. Hmm. You can actually go back but you have to be called and shame on us if we're not willing and able to do that. Shame on us if we just see these women as damaged goods. No, they're not. They're just, they just need someone. And praise God, it it sounds like she has found healing. And really the, 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 the success of, of the church on this issue will rise and fall with with how we treat these women, what, what the outreach are is to these, to these women. And I, I, I hope that, you know, I hope that continues with ministries like Preborn and others, because at the end of the day, that's, that's going to be the, you know, the number of babies we save is going to rise and fall with the number of mothers we save. Amen. Thank you, princess. Thank you. This portion of our show brought to you by our friends over at Pure Health Research. If you are dealing with fatty liver, you are not unique. Maybe 100 million Americans are dealing with that. Uh, And that makes it over three times more likely you're going to deal with things like heart failure and others uh, than those who do not. Why? Because we throw everything at our livers. They're one of the most important organs in your body. And then as we get older, that compounds. All that interest of all that strain compounds, whether it's cholesterol, alcohol, toxins, Tylenol, statins, cigarettes. Uh, And if you are struggling to stay healthy, to have energy, to lose weight, could be because of a sluggish, fatty liver. And that is potentially impacting up to 500 key functions that you need your liver to perform each and every day. So get the liver health formula, the all natural supplement that contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that help to recharge and protect your liver made right here in the US of A approved by American doctors. You can uh, try it now and receive a free bottle 
of their nano-powered omega-3s to keep your heart healthy as well. Try the Liver Health Formula at GetLiverHelp.com Steve and claim the free bonus gift. Get them both at GetLiverHelp.com Steve. Again, that's GetLiverHelp.com Steve. All right, let's switch gears. Fake news or not. I'm going to make a prediction. And then you guys can call it fake news or not. You can even ask me questions if you want further you know, quantification of why I am making this prediction. Okay. In the next 36 months, conservative media will go from the old paradigm of will this play on Fox News to will this play with Tucker? That's my prediction. I can further quantify that for you if you would like. But that is my prediction of how of, of, that, that this happens in the next 36 months. Fake news or not. What has changed? I think I told you guys this privately and now the Wall Street Journal is predicting it publicly. Tucker is creating his own platform enterprise. Do you remember when Ricky Gervais said at the Golden Globes right before COVID that if Lucifer himself started a streaming platform, you'd say you'd call your agent and say, hey, I'm looking for a good script. Remember he said that at mm-hmm. the Golden Globes? Okay. All right. There are only so many platforms of significance on the right. There are only so many that let you say pretty much what you want to say if you can back it up. We happen to be fortunate to work for one of the only ones that does that. I would imagine Tucker would probably create a, form, a, 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 a platform of a similar bent. Fair? Yeah. And so I could see absolutely that a lot of people are looking at, even with Fox, it was, it was purposeful to play gatekeeper. Like, they, they viewed themselves as that. Roger Ailes wanted to be that. Rupert Murdoch is trying to be that now. Right. So they were literally on purpose, putting their thumb on the scale to alter outcomes on the Republican Party and to determine what narratives were allowed in or out. OK, I don't know. I don't think Tuck, I think if you're interviewing Andrew Tate for two hours, probably not your intent up front, at least to do that. Fair. Yeah. OK, you're, you're trying to take a crowbar to the Overton window, yes. probably. But effectively, if he develops a platform that will have some size of significance with coattails and people are looking for a place where they can get non-traditional information onto a large platform, and there's only a few of those platforms, then effectively I could see a lot of people decide the new standard is what will play with Tucker, what will get me on that platform, what will get me noticed by that platform, what will get me exposure by that platform. And so in a way, he could become effectively a gatekeeper without purposefully setting out to be one. That's just the, the cause and the effect of, of, of creating another one of the rare platforms on the right where you can basically speak your mind if you want. Well, I definitely believe that we are in that world of the status quo is the status quo until it isn't anymore. I, I, I do think something has been shattered. But I will declare fake news for a couple different reasons. The time limit you put on it, I think 36 months is too fast for that to happen and secondly uh i was going to bring up that um interview he just had with uh tate 
had you not, but it's even better that you did. The second reason is because of things like that and smashing the Overton window. Uh, I think you make a good nuance point about how effectively things might just default to that. But it'll take time, A, and B, that's... Tucker, unless he changes or isn't quite who we think he is, he just... He, re he rejects that. Look how easily he shares the spotlight with the Blaze. Getting he didn't the time he spent getting together with Glenn uh, uh, afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, it is going to default have to default very hard to do that to the point it's something like he can't even resist if he tried. But I I I think within 36 months he will still. His natural default is to doing his best to do the opposite, making sure like something that something like Fox never happens again. Aaron, what do you think? I have a tendency to buy on this. All right, so Todd thinks I'm fake news. You tend to think it might be real news. Yeah. I see some of the moves that he's that he is making and everything that Todd said is true but it doesn't doesn't necessarily mean what you're saying is is false. I can think you could have a both and type of situation. Yes, he maybe his goal is to make sure a Fox News never happens, but in the process of doing that it's meet, human nature. Meet the new boss same as yeah, the old boss that's nature. not what I meant yeah. to yes. have happen. Um, and before, unless you think, well, it's better Tucker Carlson than Fox News, he's still a man. He's still a human being, you know. Um, would we be better off overall, all things being equal, if, if Tucker Carlson either willingly or unwillingly was the gatekeeper? I hope so. I hope so. But like, I'd make that gatekeeper trade. Tucker Carlson, Rupert Murdoch, straight up, making that trade. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. But I'm, my point is he's still a human being. And so I agree with he, that, too. You know, yeah. that's 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 my only point. So yeah. you look at some of the moves that he's making. I just saw yesterday he's doing a business deal with Public SQ. Who used to be Square, a partner with us here on our show. Great company. Really yeah. important. It's clear that he has ambitions that even I think go beyond just doing a show on Twitter. Mm -hmm. So that's why I have a tendency to buy on this. I also think, and I don't know him well enough to know. I mean, I've met him casually a couple times, and, and we've had a few private text conversations, so I don't pretend to have any insight into this. I'm not, we're not partners or friends or anything. We're not unfriendly. I just don't know him well enough to know. But I would imagine there's a few people looking at Trump's base and realizing. And if they're not, I'm stunned. Who, would, who steps in to inherit that base of people? You know what I'm saying? Like, Who's their leader? This is Trump's last, last ride. Win or lose, it's his last ride. And he doesn't have an obvious heir apparent. And he is absolutely, and, and this is the most laudable thing, to say, laudable thing to say about Trump, is he has permanently disrupted and altered the media industrial complex. And for that, you know, I mean, yeah. you could argue that is the single greatest accomplishment anybody has done for the conservative movement ever, except for maybe Reagan helping to actually form it. Okay? Um, it would you you just you wouldn't be human if you weren't looking at that base of people and saying they got they got to have somewhere to go when this is all done. You know what I'm saying? 
you know, and and, and they because in the future they probably won't singularly go behind a single candidate. There'll be there'll be multiple candidates competing for them in the future, and they'll split because that's what happens to movements. But they but what they don't lack have maybe is a singular leader from a a networking and informational standpoint. Wouldn't shock me if he's looking at that as mm-hmm. a possibility that he could step into that void. Think that's fake news or not? Real quick. No. 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 All right, Pop Culture Tuesday is next. All right, before we get to Pop Culture Tuesday, it just seems like there's more meat on the bone with what we were just discussing. Because moving forward, if what I am predicting is remotely close to being true, like even if even if even if it's not true, like if, even if I'm going too far, and it's and it's not true that we're going to go from will it play on Fox to will it play with Tucker, even if it doesn't go to that point, just the fact that the most popular figure in the history of Fox News, which is the most dominant platform in the history of the American right, goes out on his own and creates his own network or platform, even if it's just for himself has far-reaching implications moving forward. Doesn't it? Yeah. Because, <clears throat> pardon me, one way that my prediction wouldn't come true is if it's just kind of what Tuck, we've already seen from Tucker. Monologues, long-form interviews of what he's interested with, but it, there aren't satellite programming. You know, think of when CRTV started, that was our original network, and, and Mark Levin was the son. And once the sun was set into uh, a fixed position in the solar system, then planets come along and orbit around said sun. We were one of those planets, right? Okay. Then we have this this merge now with the concert with CRTV and the Blaze, and now we're like Tatooine. There are two suns. (laughs) So we had Mark Levin and 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 Glenn Beck team up now as patriarchs, and the solar system gets bigger. Two suns, you can support more heat. Right. More life. But the rest of us are kind of the planets that revolve around those twin suns. Fair. Yeah. All right. Maybe that's not his desire. Maybe it's just it's just going to be for him, you know, or or we're it, maybe it won't be for many years that other people come on board. But even if it's just if, it, if it's just him, then my prediction then likely doesn't come true. But even if even if it's just for him alone. Allowing someone with his influence and popularity to have a singular platform where they basically are completely unedited and unfiltered except by what they choose to be edited and filtered by. And they are beholden to no standard other than can I independently on my own come up with the revenue to keep this thing going? That has massive implications moving forward, I think, for everybody within the sound of our voice. I hope so. Yeah, that's my desire. How would it not how would that not be the case? They would require Tucker to basically sell out, right? Correct. Which yeah. is possible. I don't think that. Well, well, it is possible well, because of total depravity, no, it's, right? It's yeah, but if that. I mean, on the on the trajectory of total depravity uh, versus you know regeneration, I mean, you, you maybe we, maybe we should do this for overtime sometime. In fact, maybe we should do this for overtime some week. Just play the clip of of Bob and Tucker talking together before they discussed any of the candidates. Tucker is, I mean, he's very, very close, if he's not there already, uh, to 
to really understanding uh, spiritually, I think. And I'm not the centrality saying this, of, the centrality of the biblical of narrative, the, biblical the gospel. Narrative. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. If you didn't watch, I mean, for those of you, or you maybe don't remember, he, meant, he said he's doing the first serious Bible study of his life. He's been through the entire New Testament. Then he, gone, he went back to the old. He's through Deuteronomy. And the things that he says about the arc of history, bending to God's will, the sovereignty of God. I mean, those are, those are things that a lot of spirit-filled believers have a hard time accepting to yeah. that level because it kind of does go against our American instincts of rugged individualism and we make our own way, right? You know, kind of goes against that yeah. American hardwiring, particularly if you're from the right. And then, which is why I don't think it's just a matter of Tucker selling out. It, the opposite could be true. What The problem is the rest of us selling out. If Tucker genuinely wants to raise the bar, what what's to say that all of us want to go along with it? The reason Fox became Fox is because it realized it could increasingly make the pool shallower and shallower and shallower and its fans, as long as it got the show, it was edified. What if, what if that goes on? What if they, if Tucker decides I'm uh, going to go where I think I, I'm going to through the narrow gate? Mm-hmm. Are, are we really so sure? Well, there were people that are going to follow whether he ends up building a competing platform, whether this is just a platform for him uh, to monetize his own particular, um, you know, uh, content Mm -hmm. specifically, whether we are competitors directly here at the blaze with him or not. Just for me on a personal level, I am hoping that it is tremendously successful anything that proves you can violate the norms of what people say is acceptable um and monetize it i'm all for because as someone whose prime directive of his show is a biblical worldview i mean i i have been attempting to use the talent that god gave me Mm -hmm. to usher into the mainstream the most Mm -hmm. forbidden text and the most forbidden conversation and the most verboten content of them all the word of god yeah nothing's been more censored throughout human history than the word of god has been and so i'm i'm trying to use my show as the camel's nose under the tent the cudgel to bring it in into the mainstream And so whether that's his or it's something else, you know, maybe it is particularly catering to Trump's base. I I don't know. I don't know him well enough to know differently. I I don't. Here's what I know. Um, I've known I've known two Tucker Carlson's from afar as a media personality. I've known the the very intelligent, very likable, bow-tied, conservatarian um, that was on all three major networks my whole life growing up. Okay, or growing up in politics. And then I know the guy now that in the last five years has become, um, you know, the face of American media disruption and the questioning of narratives. And the only guy on Fox who actually gave me a primetime platform, despite yep. having one of the larger shows in this in this space, he was the only person on Fox that gave me a primetime platform as a guest, not once but twice mm-hmm. in the history of my career. So that's all I know from afar. 
what's going on with Tucker now is radically different than the content he was doing in 1999, 2002, yeah. 2003. And so you have to have an explanation for that to know it's sincere. And his explanation, when we asked him about this last summer when he was here, his explanation was the realization something spiritual is really going on here that moves beyond politics. Evidence that he took that seriously by his own admission. You know, I'm studying the Bible now. I'm studying the Word of God. By, his, by what he confessed with his mouth. Clearly he understands already some of the meta-truths the yeah. major meta truths communicated in that tome. He has clearly absorbed them to some level, right? So he's clearly on some form of journey. Now we don't know where the end destination is yet, but he's clearly on some meaningful journey. Well, I think one of the remember he he goes off in his spare time living in two separate places. And, yeah, and Florida he half the year, Maine time, half the year. Yeah. He spends a lot of time fishing. He mentioned explicitly there on Friday on how he believes there's only so much room in your brain and if you put in a bunch of garbage there's just not going to be room for the other stuff and the other stuff will be convoluted even if it gets in there my point being I don't he I I think he's come to realize that the the paradigm of what Fox made people too comfortable too passive not engaged Mm -hmm. I don't think he wants to just like even if his worldview is developed I don't think he wants to just... I think he wants to break that, too. He knows the way we just received things passively was destined to failure now. And that's why I don't think it's just... I don't think he wants to be that guy who's now in charge of something that starts out as uh, certainly better intentioned, but still has within it the seeds of its own failure. We can't by definition be what Fox turned us into and be healthy citizens. I agree. To me, the unanswered question here, to quote Shakespeare, the undiscovered country, with whatever Tucker evolves into as a platform, is we all have a meal ticket. We all have somebody we ultimately answer to in this business. We all do. And I do. Ultimately, I answer to the, the, the guys who put up the initial investment, the Christian businessmen who put up the initial investment for me to, to try to break out nationally. And, and, and now that we have a profitable business, they aren't necessarily investors anymore, but, and, and they act as elders now. We have meetings. They, I don't make major decisions um, you know, with where we go as a show or a company without consulting with them or, or getting, the, you know, even at times, their approval. So we all have somebody or something we answer to. The end game of, of what, of, 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 to me, the end game of Tucker's journey will be determined by whom he believes that is. Whom, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Who, is, yeah. who is that which he doesn't think I can, I can betray or offend? We all have that. Okay, and so that to me will determine the end of the story. Maybe he hasn't even thought that far ahead yet, okay? But that's frankly one of the things that you see going on and, and, and let me say this. When I say our business is f- afraid of Trump's base, I don't, I don't necessarily mean this uniformly as like the whole thing is a grift and a sellout. There's grifters and sellouts in any business, and we have them in ours. But a lot of it, frankly, is just the formulaics. We don't have a fleet of George Soros-like donors out there handing out, you know, real wages for people to go out on a platform and drive an ideologically pure right-wing agenda. In fact, most of the big people that want to give money to people like me would do so to try to get me to move 
away to move to the left to move away, to not be so far right. You see what I'm saying? And so we have no choice but to democratize our monetization off of you. And so I understand why a bunch of people like Trump's at 60% of the polls. Why do I want to give a voice to a guy that they don't want that would just piss everybody off? I mean, the juice won't be worth the squeeze, right? Yeah. That's just the reality. We are, we are not, when I say we're an, a, an industry, not a movement, I don't necessarily mean that blanketly like an attack. There are elements of it that do upset me that are great. We've saw in the Tea Party. We see it in some aspects of MAGA. I promise you if Ron DeSantis wins and becomes successful, this element will emerge among him. It's, it's, we can't avoid it, okay? It'll be up to people like, like us to, to stomp it out, all right? That's an inevitable, okay? But by and large, it's just the business reality. We can't monetize this off a fleet of really conservative and right-wing billionaires that are going to write us checks, ratings be damned, iTunes, race, you know, iTunes rankings be damned, because they just want to see this message get out to the public. It ain't Pepsi and General Electric writing Ronald Reagan checks to travel the country about you know, going up against the Soviet Union and socialism and the, and the welfare state. It, all, those, all those influences on the right, by and large, that write those checks are to move the other direction. So if we're going to do this as a business to provide you a product that only leaves you to monetize off of. And so we're going to be very beholden to what your opinions are. Now, I come from the school that I want to move your opinion if I don't think it's right. If I think your opinion is right, I'll cater to it. If I don't, I'll try to move it. And that's probably why I'm not as successful in this business as other people are. (laughs) Maybe they've realized a long time ago. You can't really do that, <laughs> right? But I'm going to die trying. Like Jim Harbaugh said about Ohio, beating Ohio State or die trying a couple years ago, I'm going to do this or die trying. And I'm okay if I die trying because I don't want to do I don't want to do it the other way. And I wouldn't if it was offered to me. I just don't want to. But that's the business reality of where we are. And so ultimately, Tucker will have somebody or a group of somebodies that he thinks that's my base. That's my base are those are, are the my are my elders, my investors who got me to where I am at. That's my ultimate base. Everybody has a base. They cannot betray their base or they don't have a base. And if you don't have a base, then you're doomed. And I think what will be interesting to see as this story unfolds with Tucker's future, whom does he believe his base is? And then that will be the, the third rail or is it the fourth rail? I can't remember the, what I can't touch where I can't go. All right, closing word on this, and then we'll move on real quick. Go so ahead, Aaron. Th- this, this reminds me of the axiom that you've hearkened back to on many an occasion. Democrats seek to inspire their base. Republicans seek to conspire against their base. Mm-hmm. I, think that, I think that dynamic is also at play outside the explicitly political realm in D.C. or wherever you are, especially on the conservative side, because this is an industry. So eventually... This will either inspire bases, whether it's Trump bases, Trump's base or any, anything else, to do something, or if it threatens whatever base threatens the uh, grift du jour, it will end up conspiring against them. So I don't know. Aspirations, I, it's clear Tucker has aspirations. Stipulated, I think it's stipulated. It's clear he has aspirations. Aspirations are not an end in and of themselves. What he does with those, like you aspire to have the largest platform possible so that you have the largest platform possible? No, so that you can make a biblical worldview mainstream. Mm-hmm. What is his aspiration? Exactly. What, what comes after yeah. his aspirations? Yeah. Regardless, of whether, yeah. w- regardless of what base he has, whether it's Trump's base or any other, or he makes his own base, what, is he, what he does after that really is the, the crucial uh, matter here. 
All right. Before we do a very brief, very well said there. Before we do a very brief Pop Culture Tuesday, uh, a final word here, and it's from our friends and our good friends at Patriot Mobile, America's only American mobile phone company left. Outstanding customer service team. Uh, anytime that you, when you join up, anytime you need to switch networks, you move to a different part of your community. Uh, we had our monthly poker night last night. Some of my buddies were like, wow, your basement's a Verizon dead zone. I'm like, well, that's why you should go to Patriot Mobile and switch your network. Switch networks anytime you need to for free to any of the big three major carriers just because they have that kind of customer service team at Patriot Mobile. You don't have to give money directly anymore to people who hate you. Give it instead to people who don't, but share your values. If you're a veteran or first responder, let them know when you go to make the switch. They've got extra thank yous for you for your service. For the rest of us, you can get a free activation today with the offer code Steve. A free activation today with the offer code Steve when you go to PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. PatriotMobile.com slash Steve or call them at 878-PATRIOT. That's 878-PATRIOT, patriotmobile.com slash Steve. All right, a very brief Pop Culture Tuesday this week. Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1 is absolutely fantastic. A very compelling story about um, globalism, AI, patriotism, what those things mean. I mean, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's, the story's like... These people read the blaze. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the story is just almost too on the nose to be a coincidence. OK, uh, incredible practical effects. Tons of you're like gobsmacked, like how, how'd they do that kind of stuff. And I mean, I can't it, it is the pinnacle of movie mainstream movie blockbuster filmmaking, just as you know, Maverick was a year ago at this time. And that was the biggest grossing movie released in two, for, for the year 2022. I'm confident this is going to be it for 2023. Nothing remotely woke in it. Couldn't recommend it more highly. It's an absolute masterpiece. It's so well done. They've been re-showing uh, a lot of the old movies on cable. Uh, and a while back with this movie coming out, I, I made a point of uh, renting some of them as well to rewatch them when my rest of my family was out of town. Steve, since the third one, and this is the seventh one, they there have been themes that absolutely go at this, you know, n- international deep state. Right. I mean, it's it's amazing how directly they lay over the activities today and now how yep. there's just simply nefarious forces pulling on all of us amen my pop culture uh, observation from today is i feel old dark knight came out 15 years 15 ago 15 years ago today man wow absolutely still one of the goats absolutely still one of the goats see you tomorrow until then john 317 this is steve dace on the blaze radio network